0: To another episode of Oddest to Us. My name is Amanda.
1: And I'm Kristen.
0: And in this episode, we are going to be discussing grieving as an atheist or someone going through a deconstructing process. So I think. I'm not going to say I think. I have definitely made the full deconversion to atheism. And I the reason I always say like I think or I'm pretty sure is because as someone who grew up in such a faith-based household and in the Bible belt, it's still kind of hard for me to say that word because it was almost like one of the worst things you could be or say, you know, an atheist. I bet it's like almost on the same level as like saying you're a Satanist, which now I have Satanist friends and, (laughs) and I love them dearly. And it's nothing like, you know, you think uh, in at least growing up, you actually think of Satanism or Satanists. And, and so it's hard for even me to like, as I hold that atheist identity, it's hard for me because like, I know that if I were to just like, say, I am an atheist to my mom, it would almost be kind of a, Coming out process, you know, Mm -hmm. and it would have to be something she like got over and had to accept, and it would be unfortunately. And I'm not saying this is right, but it would be one of those things where it could probably be one of the worst things I could ever tell her. So, atheist was always one of those dirty taboo words in the South and not just the South. I mean, like in a lot of places in the United States, just everywhere, but especially like being in the South and the Bible Belt, it was, you didn't really meet atheists, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you would consider yourself an atheist or just someone that has deconstructed a lot about their faith. That's not my place to speak for you. So, I mean, you can kind of tell people where you're at with your own journey.
1: Yeah. Currently, I I don't even know. It's something I'm really not dealing with I'm putting it on the back burner for now I still like I've mentioned in the past episodes that I am was Catholic and I still mostly the tradition like there's so much history and stuff and I'm just a history person that I love being attached to that somehow and that's something I have to give up and I'm struggling there with saying that I'm not Catholic anymore. So currently, I don't know, I'm, I'm questioning, <laughs> but yeah. I'm, I'm working on it. It's, I'm just so upset at everything my religion has done to people, but that, that history still keeps pulling me back.
0: And you can appreciate the history of religion too, without you subscribing to its beliefs, of course. Yeah. And it's
1: just nice to say that that's my religion. Like I could have a meeting with the Pope if I ever really wanted to. That's just so special. And I'm struggling to let that go.
0: It's hard for me too, because even though like I'm pretty comfortable and confident in where I'm at, there's always still that part of me that grew up in indoctrination and in that culture that's like, Oh, you're a fucking atheist. Like, what? Like, you know, you're going yeah. to hell, right? Like,
1: the, I get like, the one thing that I struggle with is I, I am a depressive personality. And I have had oh, girl, family members. I have had family members who've committed suicide. And that's a huge, huge no no in Catholicism. Like you go to hell. And that is something that I struggle with sometimes. Like I still have that knee-jerk reaction with suicides of oh, you're going to hell. And I'm like, Kristen, what that wasn't helpful at all. That's not no, don't do that.
0: Right. And so to shake off a lot of the things, especially because the problem the problem one of my biggest problems with religion is like it starts when you're a child. And so as an adult, when you're trying to unlearn these things were that were literally integral to your development Mm -hmm. and that were little seeds planted when you were a little sponge growing, when you're an adult unlearning all of these things, it's almost shedding all of these layers that made you who you were, even if you didn't want to be that. Right. So it's really hard. And then when you take these things into life with you and life happens as it does, like death, which is what we're talking about here. We're talking about grieving as an atheist or as someone deconstructing. How do you deal with those things? You know, because I'm going to specifically talk about, I think a lot of, I know some people that listen know me in real life, and I know a lot of people don't. I also know that a lot of people have come have crossed to this podcast from our horror movie podcast, which is the Sisters, and do kind of know my story, but I'll go into it a little bit. But before I even really do, it's hard because you get these coping skills in the church that once you leave the church, you realize you don't actually have coping skills.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You realize you were just taught to be, Give them over to God. Give your struggles over to God. God will never give you any more than you can handle. Pray on it. And all of these things that once you get rid of those things, what like what do you have left? You know? Mm-hmm. And that's so such a, it's really unfortunate, especially because I feel like the church is such a safe haven for so many people that they really have an opportunity to teach actual coping skills to people. But instead, they run to their creator, you know, quote, Mm -hmm. end quote there. And they don't act. They kind of leave their people defenseless when it comes to major traumas and losses. Because I'm going to talk about some of my own family and their loss and experience. Those that are leaning solely on religion are doing far worse than those of us that have actually gone to mental health professionals. Interesting. And not like religiously based mental health, Mm -hmm. not like, you know, spiritual counseling, basically. So when I was 18 years old, my dad, well, I was, I guess I was 17 when my dad was diagnosed with cancer and he was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And I vaguely remember them saying where it started. He had like a tumor in his femur and... Then when they, by the time they had found that it had metastasized and it was stage four and he was basically diagnosed and gone within seven months, which, you know, obviously that's shocking. He was perfectly healthy. He was an athlete. He played soccer. He was 54 when he died and he'd been a soccer player since he was a child and even played every Sunday in to his fifties. And we were a very active family. So it just wasn't, it wasn't like he was a sickly person. You know what I mean?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And he also was the parent that I felt closest to. This is no shade to my mom. We just, I think that mom and sometimes daughters have a rocky relationship when you hit those teenage years. And we also just had some personal issues, but I just felt very much closer to my dad. And so losing him obviously is like totally rocked my world. And up to that point, The major things that had happened to my life in my life were like major breakups and boy drama. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying those things did not affect me, but nothing compares to that loss. And not only the loss, but like watching him suffer Mm -hmm. and die. Like, you know, so all of that left me with severe trauma and also left holding this bag. Now I have to grieve this. And also my watching my family grieve this and we were really active in our church and they were, I'm not saying they weren't helpful. I think that something that church is good for in some cases, I'm not saying all because some can be very culty and toxic, but like they were very kind to us. They brought my brother and I food when my mom was in the hospital. They literally, Before GoFundMe was a thing, did a fundraiser for my dad, raised thousands of dollars for our family. Like, I'm not saying churches can't be good. Like, let's get that out of the way and make that perfectly clear. I'm very grateful that we had those people when we did. That being said, when my dad died and when I think anybody dies and you're in kind of a faith-based environment, it feels very empty. When Mm -hmm. I started questioning my faith long before my dad got sick, I remember, and I've talked about this before too, but even as a child being like three years old, four years old, going to like Sunday school as a kid and hearing the Bible stories, thinking God was mean and being scared of him and because I would hear the stories of like Moses and Egypt and the floods and them focusing on the rainbows and the ark and you know the freedom of Moses's people and I was just focused on the death and the killing and the anger and the rage the whole time even as a very very young child and then I saw the Prince of Egypt when I was like five or six and it was like one of the scariest <laughs> movies I've still ever seen in my entire life so it just never vibed with me. And so I guess I was just meant to always be very skeptical. So I still wasn't always sold, but then like, especially when my dad got sick and died, I kind of was like over it at that point. Like, If I was angry at anyone, I guess it was God, but I didn't really have that tight of a belief. It was just easy to kind of be angry at this thing that you didn't really believe in and you weren't quite sure about and you hadn't really accepted full atheism. You had just always kind of been like, I guess I'm kind of agnostic. I don't really know.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But everyone was just always like, he's in a better place. You'll see him again, you know, and pray about it walk with God, you know, God will get you through this. And when you have someone that's now granted, I don't blame anyone because I did not come forward and be like, Hey guys, I'm an atheist. Can you fucking not? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But talking about in this episode, like if you do know someone's an atheist or you just want to be a little bit more helpful than like, Oh, they're in a better place. You know, that that doesn't really like death w- is final, you know, like in this world, whether you believe in an afterlife or not, death is final. I think even Christians can agree that death, at least here in this world, is final. And for those of us that are left, we have to adjust to our new life without this person or even this pet or Whatever. And even in some cases, it's this relationship. Like there's a lot of different forms of grief, but Mm -hmm. basically, it did not help for people to say, like, oh, he's in a better place or you'll see him again. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Well, you know, you're like, I'm not. I'm in a worse place.
0: Exactly. I mean, to be perfectly honest, everyone kept, you know, saying that, well, he's not in pain anymore, which absolutely. And that was the one good thing about his death was that he wasn't in pain anymore. But, like, all multiple people in my family kept saying is, like, I just want to die with him. Like, that's Mm -hmm. the kind of pain that's left behind, you know? Right. You can have two, you know, I had a family of four. It was my brother, myself, my mom, and my dad I have... Two members of my family left plus me and we lost one. And in the grand scheme of things, it's like, well, that's just one member of the family gone. You still have them already of your family. But the pain was so, so heavy. I couldn't even see them and they couldn't see anything else except for this pain. So you just wanted to leave. You know, you didn't Mm -hmm. want to be here anymore. So when you are an atheist and someone's telling you, you'll see them again you know there there's not an again there is not an afterlife and there are atheists that do believe in afterlife like that these things are not you know like just because you're an atheist doesn't mean you can't believe in some sort of afterlife i'm just saying like if we just look at the strict hard like we don't know and we don't subscribe to a specific belief system the same as like christianity does you know Mm -hmm. we don't know. And I'm not going to sit here and say like, I absolutely believe there's an afterlife because I don't know. Like that would be cool. But like, do I like a hundred percent for sure believe I'm going to see my dad again? No. Like I used to think that, but I don't necessarily think that anymore. And that doesn't really like, it sounds really, really sad, but what I've kind of gotten to as far as like Christianity and their kind of view of death is that it's kind of like this putting grief off. It doesn't deal with grief directly. I'm not saying that Christians individually don't because a lot of them do, but I'm going to use specific examples in my own life of watching this happen. We they ju- It's just focused on I I just need to get to the afterlife. I need to get to this next point. I need to get to seeing them again. And that doesn't deal with grief. You
1: mm-hmm. know, and you stop living your life here and now.
0: Exactly. And when you are living your life here and now, you're so focused on how painful it is that that person isn't here. And when you're always yearning for this afterlife, you don't deal well with your here and now, like you were saying.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And when you are dealing with it, it's not healthy, which is what I have witnessed. It's it's like these, you know, faith-based counselors that'll say, you know, pray on it and talk to God and it's God's plan that that doesn't actually get you to where you need to be in your grieving process, because there there are things you can do to work towards grief. But though I'm not saying those things can't help because in true grief counseling, they will add spiritual elements if that person is spiritual, but they will also do A, B, C, D, E, and then praying is the next thing, you know what I mean? hmm So, you know, as somebody that doesn't have spirituality to fall back on, you know, and, and another thing, side note, when people do find out you're not spiritual and they do know you're grieving, a lot of times they use that chance to, like, try to, like, talk Get to you. Get you in. Yeah, that is not the opportunity, you know? Yeah,
1: that's messed up.
0: And on the flip side, like, also... You know, probably just not a good time to talk about religion in the first place. Mm -hmm. But I think that a lot of people just don't know how to talk about death in general, or don't know what to say to somebody who's that's grieving. And I know that happened to me. Like, I lost most of my friends when my dad died, and like most people would think it would be the opposite. Like they would rally around you. I was in high school, and I don't blame my friends for this anymore. But at the time, I was like fucked up about it you know but they didn't know what to say to me mm-hmm. like how do you I didn't know how to deal with myself like people that had never gone through major loss didn't know how to deal with me anymore so they just didn't you know I had right exited school at this point I stopped going I just started skipping because I couldn't deal with it and I started going to an alternative. Form of high school after being like super active in extracurriculars and all these, I just basically disappeared off the face of the planet. I was put in an inpatient facility, like all these crazy things happened to me. And then my friends just didn't know how to deal with me. When you're dealing with somebody that's going through that, I think the most important thing to do is not talk about God and to just continue to like check in on them. You Mm -hmm. know, you don't have to say anything groundbreaking. There literally is nothing groundbreaking you can say to somebody that's in a grief cycle. Right. Like we talked about this on the other podcast, but you've experienced a loss that was incredibly heavy to you. And, you know, there was nothing that I even going through a loss myself could say to you to make that blow any less.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing. You just have to get Through it, unfortunately.
0: And some people, they don't. And I don't mean that they die, but I mean like
1: they don't deal with it to get through
0: it. Right. It's a lot of what happens, especially in faith, is, you know, somebody in my personal life that I'm not going to name, but who went through this loss with me. And, like, again, my, my dad was one of those people that was just, like, a magnet. Like, everyone loved him. So I extended family, immediate family. So I'm hoping that this, you know, stays anonymous enough. But, like, this person, they just have said like, I wouldn't be able to get through this if it wasn't for my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm over here literally talking to them about how I'm worried for their health all the time because they won't seek help for these addictions they have that keep getting worse. And they keep going back to missing people that have died. And it's like clearly Jesus isn't enough.
1: Right, you're not dealing with it.
0: Like that can be a component of healing. I'm not saying that it can't, but I am saying like that is not enough. You're you can pray and cry and scream to God all you want. This is going to sound really harsh, but a God that didn't stop the Holocaust is not going to stop your personal pain. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I know that sounds really shitty, but seriously.
1: It's... But it's fair. Yeah. Like, you're not doing anything. You're just covering it up with religion
0: and addiction. And it's kind of like you're always... It's like water running through your fingers, you know, when you're trying to deal with grief with only prayer or those, you know, basically religious catchphrases, you know, God's never going to give me anything that I can't handle. Are you sure about that? First of all, that won't, a lot of people commit suicide. Are you sure about that? You know?
1: Okay, but in all fairness, I use that quote sometimes with myself just when I'm having a bad day. Like, you're going to get through it. You never get anything more than you can handle. Like, and that just helps me to get through a bad day. So it's not necessarily a crutch to cover up grief all the time.
0: Not saying all the time. What I am saying is that it really discounts a lot of people that didn't get through it as like this whole, like, everyone tells people that are grieving and then if they lose their battle also like it's not sufficient do you know what i'm saying like i see like like if you
1: don't get through it yeah
0: exactly exactly like perpetuating this cycle that religion is enough within religion itself is super toxic and that's one of the reasons that it continues to fester is because you know religious people it's it's you know it's kind of that's This is also kind of bad, but it's like same thing like what happens with the mass shooting, like thoughts and prayers. Okay. What about the action that we need to take? Same thing for personal responsibility. Like, okay, you're praying, but what action steps are you going to take to help yourself in addition to your prayer? God's not going to come in. Even if there is a God, he's not going to come in and like take your ass to therapy for you. You know? Right.
1: Exactly. And I'm a huge one on that, on things like that. Like, if there is a God, he created this stuff for a fucking reason. Go to therapy.
0: Right. Yeah. And, like, it's, you can respect people's religion, but it's interesting that they don't respect your lack of one a lot. Right. Right. And that's how I feel now that I'm kind of at this turning point. I feel like I can't even really talk about my lack of religion without shattering people's lives and views of myself. Like, what really breaks my heart, too, is I feel like even my my dad, he, he never, like, really majorly, like, forced religion on us. Like, they made us go to church and stuff, but he never, like, you know talked about God in excess but he was like a deacon in our church and stuff. Mhm. So, I know that this is like you know.
1: Yeah, but he also bought you black clothes and let you listen to crazy music. I'm sure he would have been cool.
0: I mean, he accepted me for who I was, you know. Right. An atheist might have been over the line though. I don't know. I'll never know. And that's <laughs> another thing too, like I have to accept these things as they are right in front of me. And that's another thing that religion doesn't do. It doesn't accept the things as they are right now, right in front of you. Because obviously there are there's this afterlife that they have and you know, these and that's fine. But respect my belief that I don't have that. And also, 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 I think that one of the the big things that made me turn away was the people themselves and fucking bet, yeah like I've been told that even if you know I my dad was in a better place like I wasn't gonna see him anyways because I was evil you know and people that tell you that are people that you don't expect to tell you that like people that are supposed to love you the most
1: I I get what you're saying but also the Just acting like there's no reason to care because you're waiting for an afterlife away from the grief stuff is causing our planet to fall apart and we're all going to die. Yeah. Is causing our politics to be fucking terrible and we're all going to die. Like, you got to care about the here and now.
0: Yeah, right. And something else that's really unfortunate is I actually looked for a lot of like self-help books and things like that when I was going through grief and I it took me a long time to get into therapy and stay in therapy. So I went to therapy. So my dad died when I was 18 and I went to therapy. I was forced to go to an inpatient facility once. But when I was 18, I was in therapy when I was 18 for a little while. And then she made me go to an inpatient facility and I didn't trust her anymore. So then I dropped out and I went back for a couple of weeks when I was 19 and then didn't go back for a while. And I was like in and out until I was consistently in it for like the last two years or so. And then like, but in between that, I tried to find grief groups and also grief literature, but it's really difficult to find secular help with grief. It's like everything you find is in a church group or written by like a faith-based author and all the workbooks are like Bible verse books which is really unfortunate because that doesn't help me. And I realized that I had, I talked about earlier, you know, they don't or people don't develop actual coping skills because they just are so immersed in praying and they'll pray and then they'll go back to whatever coping skill they're using instead of developing actual coping skills. Like right off the bat, as soon as I moved into my own apartment and I was overwhelmed with grief because I was supposed to be going off to college, going off to university. And then I was at a community college, had no direction. And my dreams were basically ripped away from me. I tried to go to a university for a little while and I ended up dropping out and kind of back and forth. And I went to community college here, university here, but then I couldn't handle university. And I was back here and it was just really like you know, I I couldn't handle anything. I couldn't, Mm -hmm. I was always the overachiever and I was, I excelled at classical singing and I was an instrumentalist and like all of these things that I was supposed to do with music and academia and I didn't do shit, you know, and I couldn't Mm -hmm. function. And I developed a horrible eating disorder that I am just now in treatment for, like I'm just now getting a grip on slowly, but surely. And 10 years later, I developed that because all that I was given when my dad died were, we'll be praying for you, you know? And Mm -hmm. yeah, I was put in an inpatient facility, but you know where my therapist was that I was going to at a Baptist Mm. church. Oh my God. So, You've got not just adults, but kids too, that they need to be in therapy. And then their parents are religious, putting them in religious therapy. And it just perpetuates this cycle. And, you know, honestly, I'm lucky that it it was just an eating disorder and not drugs or alcohol.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, am I having a good time with having, you know, a binge eating disorder? No. (laughs) But... I decided to cope with food and I could have decided to cope with fucking cocaine or heroin or mm-hmm. liquor, you know? Right. And I think given all those circumstances, at least I can function <laughs> like this most days, you know, it's really difficult, mm-hmm. but it it's I'm, I'm figuring it out. And I have addressed that this is my, my problem and where this stems from. But that's why, like, as soon as my dad got sick, I stopped being able to cope with anything and then just immediately developed this horrible thing that has kind of taken over my world. And I still cope poorly with things, but I'm working on it. But, you know, if I had been given tools that were outside of the church, I think it would have at least been more. I'm not saying I wouldn't have eventually developed some sort of eating problem because I think that was always kind of festering anyways but I definitely would have been given better tools and it may have not turned into like a full-blown like major life controlling problem you know what mm-hmm. I mean right so I I think that dealing with grief cycles you know one of the major things is they tell you to talk to people which can be difficult, especially when you feel isolated and you feel like no one understands what you're going through. And on the flip side of that, if you're the friend and you think that you don't understand what they're going through, I promise you it's okay. Like it's much better to reach out to your friend that is grieving, even if they don't reach back out to you and to keep doing it over and over and over. Than to just stop talking to them altogether, because Mm -hmm. that was a lot harder than having a friend sit there with me in silence, not knowing how to deal with me. I would have a much more, much more appreciated the silent friend, you know?
1: I bet. Because then you're also grieving the fact that you just got left
0: by your friend. I mean, it was really hard. I'm not trying to sound like cocky or like pretentious or anything, but like I was pretty like – not popular at school because I wasn't, but I had my own clique like in band and stuff. And I was a leader in band and I had always been in the varsity group and I was fairly popular. Like before I stopped going to school, I was like, I, I had a, a huge group of friends and I felt really well liked and loved. And, and then all of a sudden it was all gone and I was alone. And then I felt like it was all superficial for whatever reason. And it wasn't like a lot of them have come around years and years later and even apologized to me and told me like, I just didn't know like what to say to you because of what you were going through. And I appreciate that now. And, you know, we're friends and stuff, but, you know, being 18 years old, you're still, even though you're an adult, you're still a child, (laughs) you know, like you're still figuring it out. So it's okay to be the silent friend. And also, unless you know, like you're a hundred percent sure that your friend is religious in a better place. Like for me, when people said that, I was like, my dad is in a box in the ground right now. Like, I know that's gross and harsh, but like, I didn't know what I believed. And like, even now I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And it was hard for me because I didn't really care where he was to be perfectly honest. I cared where I was like you were mm-hmm. saying, like I'm happy for him. I'm glad that he's not in pain anymore. Ultimately I'm glad he's not in pain anymore, but wherever his spirit is cool, whatever, even if it's not anywhere I hurt in ways that I cannot even begin to put into words. So right, exactly. that is not helpful.
1: I mean, it's just like funerals are for the living. You know, grieving is also unfortunately for the living and you have to get through that.
0: Another thing that is not helpful. He wouldn't want you to grieve or be sad for him. No. Are you fucking kidding? Like, oh, I'm cured. You know, I'm not sad anymore. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Or give it to God. Like God doesn't take this pain away. If I'm not like, you know what, God? God. Why don't you take this grief that doesn't go away, whether you're religious or not, that doesn't make it go away. And if you say it does, I think you're fucking lying. I think that you (laughs) sit with that at night after you tell everyone that your pain is gone. I think Mm -hmm. you're fucking lying. And And you
1: drink your troubles away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or something. Or you're getting paid a lot of money to say that, you know. (laughs) Right. Right. Like, and I think that everyone that goes through these major grief cycles, I think it shakes their faith no matter what. And I think some people come back. I think most people come back and I think some people don't. And that was kind of my nail in the coffin. And it was like, okay, this is it. I am alone. We are alone. And I am either going to get through this or I'm not, but there's no one here, like looking out for us. Like there's no, I think the biggest thing for me was like, there is no God that would, and this is just my purse. I'm personally jaded. Okay. <laughs> there's no God that would just like let all of these horrible things happen. And when I watched like cancer at work, I was like, Nope. I don't want anything to do with this. God. No, thank you. I'm good. And so when I, when I tried praying and screaming and then I just became more angry and confused and, you know, like, and I'm like, people lose their children to this. I lose my father. I was like, nah, I don't care anymore. And then I had to kind of go through, I'm still going through the grief cycle in a way that I have to understand that this death was final. And I know that this is kind of cliche, but time really does like make it better. It doesn't always, it comes back. Like I even, you know what? Like a month ago I was talking to Kristen and I mean, what did I tell you? Like, I was like, I don't even know how much I've actually grieved Mm because I had a really hard therapy session. Right. Like it just comes back. It's like, yeah, it'll get better, but it's never really gone. And, you know, they say the grief cycle lasts like a year, but that's, that's bullshit. Like, you know, I've lost all my grandparents and I lost all my grandparents by the time I was also, you know, 19. I think my grand, my last grandmother died when I was 19 and that was all hard. And I probably grieved that much quicker, obviously than my dad, because I'm still dealing with that, but it doesn't just go away. I think it just certain losses just stay with you forever. And they just keep getting ripped open every time you experience something new or a word or a sentence is said that you didn't realize you were dealing with. And you mm-hmm. just keep kind of fighting the same grief cycles over and over and over. And if you're not religious, you just have to figure out that you have to face them head on without, and I don't mean this to sound cruel or harsh, but again, this is my own personal grief experience. And I really like losing my dad was probably other than like losing my mom or my brother, like any of my immediate family, but like, especially, you know, it was probably like the worst person you could take away from me, you know? So Mm -hmm. like, I don't think now, obviously losing my mom and my brother, but like, I, you know, have been through what I consider like the worst loss for me so far in my life. And I think that I know that without religion, I have to actually face it instead of basically putting it off and, you know, making excuses in the name of God and pushing it down. And I think that all that that does is bottle it up, and it just continues to fester. And then all of a sudden, it's 10, 11 years later, in my case, and you never actually dealt with any of it.
1: Right. Definitely.
0: You just have prayed and cried about it and cried to God over and over, and your prayers are still unanswered. So there's something not quite working for you, you know? Mm -hmm. Which is really sad. I'm not saying... It's not, but I just, and I also know that some people they need to believe because they can't, I don't think that my mom could accept that my dad's life is over completely and that she will never see him again. And I think that that's the way a lot of like, cause my mom is a very religious person. Like I mm-hmm. think it would hurt her that I'm, atheist and that I don't believe that you know I may I'll never see my dad again and you know I think that she needs that because she holds on to that so so tight that it gets her through you know her day sometimes that I just need to get through this moment and on to the next and I'm a day closer to seeing my husband again
1: I mean, I get it, man. That's, I mean, I know you lost your dad and that's terrible, but I couldn't imagine losing, you know, my soulmate. Totally. That young and having to live for so long without them.
0: Yeah. And that's where I, you know, I I think about, you know, losing. And I, I also have this complex that I have to do with therapy now that since it happened to me, you know, you kind of lose the luxury of assuming that it can never happen to you when it does. Mm -hmm. And now I assume that everyone I love is going to (laughs) die. Like you, no offense, you, Brad, my brother, my mom, like every time I get a call from a number that I don't know, and it doesn't say spam, Mm -hmm. I get this like twinge in my chest. And I assume it's somebody calling me to tell me somebody has died. And that's something I I have to work on in therapy.
1: I do the same thing. I feel like this, and it was, he was just a cat that you guys have heard from me, but he was, like, my son. Like, I nursed him on my thumb, and, you know, he wrapped his head around my neck and stuff like that. Like, we were so close. I can't even explain. When I lost him, it was, like, losing my child, and that just, like dropped some sort of veil that i had in front of me of, you know, death was so far away and now it's not. Now it is right there all the time.
0: Yeah, it's it's like everything that all that luxury of invincibility is gone.
1: Yeah, and not just for me, but like you said for my family as well. Like i never worried about Connor going off to work. Now i constantly worry am i going to get a call that he was in a wreck.
0: You know how people have daydreams of things that they want or, like, quitting their job and, like, going to an island? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know what my daydreams are about? Oh, God. Death. Constantly. They're not daydreams in the way that, like, I'm – like, when you think of daydream, you think of somebody, like, smiling and looking off Mm -hmm. in the distance. They are daydreams about my loved one's funerals, about getting calls that, you know – brad's dead somewhere they are constantly i'm constantly thinking about the next person in my life that's going to die and having to deal with that and it is exhausting but it takes away mm-hmm. like we were saying that like luxury of it can't happen to you which is why covid has like honestly rocked my shit so much because i just assume somebody i love's going to get covid and die <laughs> like oh yeah i
1: was honestly surprised a few of my family members didn't they weren't in great health
0: yeah So it's been really rough because I'm like, also don't know. Like, I know that this time I would be, it's kind of like I'm more prepared to grieve, but at the same time, like, I don't know how much grief one person can take, you know?
1: Right, exactly. I mean, that whole daydreaming of death thing, like, that's something I've been doing also. And it's terrible. I hate constantly living like that. And, I really have read a lot of studies and I've watched, there's a couple, I think, documentaries on Netflix that are really in talking about how LSD, magic mushrooms, do a lot for that right there. Just the constant thought of death all the time. It's basically like a reset button and I want to try it so fucking bad because this whole constantly thinking of death thing and never being happy about the future and just constantly wondering oh my god am I having a heart attack oh my god is Connor having a heart attack like I'm only 31 this is I got a long way to go to constantly think about that all the time
0: yeah. And then, you know, my mind went when you said 31 and you said I got a long way to go. I was like, I mean, hopefully, like that's fucked right. Up, you know, Literally, <laughs>
1: like- literally. My stepdad was in a car wreck recently and he ended up with this like bubble on his heart and he might have a heart aneurysm. Like he had to go to the heart doctor, all this stuff. And they were basically telling him, you know, the signs of blood clots. And as soon as they said that, it fucked with my head. And now I constantly am like, I'm going to get a blood clot. That's it. That's how I'm going to go. And it has caused me such anxiety that I actually injured myself trying to do exercises the wrong way to make sure I didn't. It's like this has got to get out of my brain somehow. And if LSD can do it, I'm on board.
0: That's so funny you say that. It's not funny at all. But you know what I mean? (laughs) Like because I just did a long road trip and I was in the same position for 13 hours like with my hand on the steering wheel in one position because mm-hmm. I don't like to stop on road trips. So I'll stop to right, get there. You gas, just want to get there. But that's it, exactly. And so my arm started aching in a weird spot. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't moved. That's how you get blood clots. And I was like convinced that I mm-hmm. had and I was like, no bitch, you're just sore because you haven't fucking moved in 13 hours and you're 28 years old. You're not 19 anymore. Like you can't right. do this shit anymore. <laughs> you know, like but I, I'm the same way like my and it's caused my anxiety that I've struggled with since a child to spiral out of control sometimes. And then it's also weird because death has become because that one major, major death. I've talked to my therapist about this has become such an integral part of who I am. It's like I just assume that that's always going to be. A part of who I am so it will just continue to happen so I'm just constantly waiting for that next blow and that next mm. death and when it doesn't come I'm just kind of like okay well I don't want it to happen but like
1: But like, it's gonna, yeah, you know, get it over with, (laughs) right. It could be 50 years down the road that it's gonna, but it's gonna happen.
0: And obviously I don't want anyone to die, but I just constantly feel like I'm on the edge of my seat waiting for death all the time. And this is shit you'd need therapy for. And I'm in therapy. I'm not saying that, but like, you know, that's what this does to you. And I also think that, you know, I, had I not turned to actual therapy and I have a Some things, people in my life that don't turn to therapy because I've had conversations with them about therapy and they're like I just really need to pray about it and I'm like I am so fucking sick of hearing that because you're not going to do anything about it like you
1: don't want to talk about the icky stuff therapy is hard and I get that but you're better on the other side like I was in therapy every single week with a great therapist for a year and a half and I'm like a whole different person on the other side. So it's worth it.
0: Yeah. I, I know for a fact that if I had not been in therapy and I'm currently still with that same therapist, but if we hadn't been staying this course, you know, I probably, I, I had always recognized that I had developed an eating disorder when my dad was sick and after he died, but I definitely wouldn't be on track to healing right now. I right. think that I would always be telling myself that like, okay, this is it. I'm going to conquer this, but it wouldn't be happening. I can't pray an eating disorder away.
1: Right, exactly. You, can't, you have to work on that. You
0: can't pray addiction away. You can pray while you're getting help. Sure. But again, God's not going to magically come in and take that away. And what also bothers me is when people do it cold turkey, they say God just healed me and I'm like, "No, you did that yourself because you're a badass." You know, like <laughs> right. You and then they discredit themselves. Mm-hmm. and but that that's unfortunately not what's happening with people in my life that just like <laughs> won't go to therapy won't get medication won't do anything so like it's just you know i i know this is kind of a scattered episode but i i just and we may talk about this again and more as like therapy for me involve uh, evolves and like you know healing evolves and things like that because obviously grief is like a big, huge part of what got me here. And it also had a great deal to do with my deconstruction and also just with how I'm grieving now, because at first I thought that I had to have a religious component or I was never going to be okay. Like, how can I possibly deal with the loss of my dad if I Think that I'm never going to see him again or that he's not in heaven or that he's not this or I'm not that or all of these things. But when you just strip away all of, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be offensive, but all of the magic, when it comes down to it, my dad has very little to do with my grieving journey. He's the loss, Mm
1: -hmm. but the
0: grief is the journey that I have to go through and that I've been going through, which is just the what's right in front of me. Here are the facts. Death was final. Here's my life post death without this person. And I had to adapt to that new normal. And how do I need to adapt? I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to deal with this and I'm coping with this. And it has very little to do with the actual person that my dad was but i think it's important to remember that person i think that everyone gets so scared of the the finalization of death and it's almost mm-hmm. like you you know hearing the saying you die twice the first time and then also the last time someone remembers you but i think it's important to continue to talk about that person but it could have been my dad my mom my sibling Like I've grieved pets, of course, and it's the same cycle. It's just the person or that the animal or whatever, whoever it is, you just have to figure out how to live your life after that and how to adapt.
1: Right. And how to become that different person because you are a different person after them.
0: Yeah. So it's
1: like you're grieving yourself as well.
0: Yeah. You're grieving your life before. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like I was very, like I had, we had issues. I'm not saying my family was perfect. Like, and I'm still dealing with some of those issues from before my dad was even sick. I had trauma, like, but for the most part, we were very privileged. And then my dad got sick and it was all uprooted. You know, Mm -hmm. we lost, you know, we ended up losing our home. The, mm-hmm. the home I grew up in, like it wasn't just that one loss. It's just like grief tends to pile on top of grief, you know? Right. So you have to go through it a lot. And I just, the deflection of grief with religion is not healthy, to be perfectly honest. It's a, it can be a good component, but it's when it's used. as a a singular coping method is when nothing gets done and it becomes this vicious cycle that you never, ever get out of and that's not helpful to anyone. So if you have a grieving secular friend, I promise you they don't want to hear it. (laughs) Right. Like they don't want to hear the things that comfort you. You know, like the if I posted right now on my Facebook or whatever that you know, let's just say, God forbid, like I got sick with COVID or you know, well somebody died. I you know, hearing like I know it's well intentioned, but like you're in my prayers. That that, that thanks, you know, like <laughs> I know it's well intentioned and I appreciate it, I really do. But it's you know, doesn't for someone that doesn't believe it's like that doesn't really do anything for me, you know? So again, as someone that needs to grieve without God, if you have access to therapy and if you can afford therapy, that would be my first recommendation because had I found a therapist that I really truly liked and appreciated before I may have caught the disordered eating behaviors before they absolutely wrecked my health and my body and my body image and turned into something that just consumed my day-to-day life. And not just that, but also grieving is a process. And when you get in with a grief counselor, they can guide you through that process. And you're supposed to feel things you've never felt before. It's kind of like a whack puberty. (laughs) Yeah. So it's nice to have that guidance. And there are also a lot of free resources for therapy. You just have to find them. If you don't have access to therapy, I would just, if you have a group of friends, tell them what you need And if you're listening to this and you have a grieving friend, I had somebody that reached out to me and said, Hey, I actually have a friend that's in the same position you were in. A parent is dying of cancer and I don't know what to say to them. And I literally, that's happened to me a couple of times. People have asked me like, how do I deal with this person who's going through this death or will be going through a death shortly? My answer is always just, I can't tell you anything to say. Because nobody could have said anything to me to make me feel better. Right. But what I can tell you is just tell them that you can never understand what they're going through if you can't. Now, if you've been there, you know, if somebody reaches out to me and, you know, they say that their, you know, parent has died or something, that's something we can relate on. I will say, you know, just let me know if you need to process things with me. But if you can't say, I can't understand what you're going through and I just get that out of the way, but I'm here for you. If you need to talk about it with someone that will actively listen and then don't just listen, but actively listen to them, you know, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and then also if you do need to pray, that's fine, but don't make it your only coping mechanism. But, and then continue to remember and honor that person. I really liked you honoring your baby with an actual physical memorial of him at your house. I think that that's something that can be really helpful is making a like a physical place to memorialize someone. Like not like a you don't need to make like a shrine to someone if you don't want to, but I think having a place where you can go that's not a cemetery mm-hmm. or something like that can be really helpful where you can just kind of sit quietly and remember Mm -hmm. someone can also also be helpful.
1: I also have taken on doing my own little ofrenda for him every all saints day. So yeah, that always, and I leave it up like all October. It makes me pretty happy just to see him up and around again.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know, you can look into, there are now a lot of blogs and YouTube videos and channels that also tackle grieving as an atheist or how to talk to a grieving atheist. But I think the biggest thing is just, you know, if you are the grieving atheist, let yourself grieve and try not to push it down and push it away, which is easier said than done because I'm definitely one of those people where my, even my therapist, like recently in the past month has been like, we need to get to the root of why you don't like to cry. And I'm like, "Mm, Jennifer, what if we didn't? Like don't poke the bear. <laughs> yeah, like, and I honestly like don't know the answer to that question. I even asked my mom, and she has like her thoughts and opinions about that. But I truly don't know. But I'm not sure I want to know. But like, you know, it's okay to, you know, cry, scream, do whatever you need to. If you need to blame God for a little while, even if you don't believe in God, like that's whatever you need to do. But I think letting yourself feel that hurt and then the the finality of death as well and accepting that is okay too. You don't have to subscribe to something greater if you don't want to. And we feel a lot of pressure to do that. It's okay to accept that that person is no longer here and you may never see them again and it's painful, but it's okay And you will continue to live your life and adapt. I have done the biggest things in my life without my dad. And as painful as that was, you know, I I got through it. You know, the biggest one probably my wedding. Because every single wedding I've gone to since my dad died, I've had total fucking meltdowns. You know, the daddy-daughter dance. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But I got through my own wedding. I didn't think I would, but I got through it. You know, I bought two houses now something I would really like to have shared with my dad but I didn't get to you know Mm -hmm. and just moving in general I moved states I've you know done a lot of things that I wanted to share with my dad but I didn't get to so it hurts along the way I'm not saying it doesn't but you know you get through it and I'm kind of at the point where this is going to sound really harsh but I don't really even think about it anymore because Mm -hmm. it's now my normal
1: Mm -hmm. you
0: know so you do get to that point eventually. So, you know, that's, it sucks. It's really hard. But again, my last little thing here, encourage your religious family and friends to go to therapy and try to encourage them to go to a Therapist that doesn't just specialize in religious counseling because therapists will also integrate. If you're religious, it's usually on their intake forums. Like, are you religious into their counseling? But they don't make it the whole point, you know, Mm -hmm. doesn't always work, but they can always be that kind of voice of, hey, you know, therapy works. You should try it. It's really helped me.
1: Right.
0: And best of luck because that can be really difficult. Thank you guys for hanging out with us for this depressing episode. (laughs) But again, I think like it's something that if I, you know, didn't talk about at some point, it would just continue to like come up in different episodes. So it's nice to just dedicate some time to talk about it. And maybe. Absolutely. We'll talk about it, I'm sure, again, or kind of probably still peppered through other episodes. But if you have any questions or need to share anything, you know, the DMs are always open. Everything is oddest is hottest, except for Twitter, which is oddest hottest. We also have an email, which is oddest is hottest at gmail.com. You're always welcome to reach out. You can recommend topics or if you have any questions about anything we've talked about or just need to get something off your chest, please feel free to reach out. We're always more than welcome to talk about anything. So again, I guess we'll just say bye. Bye.